Welcome. It's fun to just have a ladies group on a Sunday night, and I'm excited to have the privilege to be able to teach Ruth and be with you guys the next few weeks. Um, my name is Sarah Moulton, and if I have not met you yet, then hopefully with this small of a little group, we can have some time at the end to get to know each other a little bit. Um, in our church, our size, as you know, if you go to one service and somebody else goes to the next, it could be weeks or a year before you meet someone. Um, I met a new lady coming in the other day to one of our women's Bible studies, and I cringed and was like, how long have you been coming to Sailorville? And she's like, actually, last Sunday was my first time, and I actually squealed. I was like, oh, yay, I met you. So she probably didn't come back, and I was a little scared. But, you know, there's so many times I've met people, and they've been coming forever. So um, my name is Sarah Moulton. I have been at Sailorville for just over 20 years now, so that's exciting. Um, I'm married to my husband, Heath. We've been married almost 15 years, and we have four kiddos, seventh grade all the way down to a four-year-old. Um, I've been serving at Sailorville in different various ways throughout the last few years, but most recently have gotten back in, into our women's ministry program. I did it a long time ago, took a break after my third baby was born, and so I am excited and thrilled to see what God has for the future of our women's ministry here at Sailorville. So taking a second to plug that just for a minute. Um, if any of you are not following us on Instagram, if you're on Instagram or Facebook, Follow us, not right now, but later when you get home. Uh, Sailorville Women on Instagram and Facebook. Um, it, again, with the church our size, we don't get a lot of time for announcements or in the bulletin or community connection. There are a few little spots and even any emails that go out. So if you want to know what's going on, social media is going to be your connection. So not only what's going on, but we are trying hard to make it be a place of encouragement and connection for you. Um, almost every week we're posting a little devotional or some thoughts from God's word from all, various different women in our church, different ages, across the board, different seasons of life. And so hopefully you can be encouraged by that. And most recently we started piloting a little study the Bible together um, per month. So it's obviously not required, but if you're someone who wants to dig into God's word and you just don't even know where to start, it's a really great starting point. And it's fun because you know other ladies are reading the same passages right alongside of you. And we'll post little images with verses on there and little Bible study encouragements along the way. So it's my little plug for women's ministry. If you have not followed us yet, please do. We would love to get connected with you in that way. So, okay, before we start, let's bow our heads in prayer. <sighs> Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for this night. Thank you for this privilege of opening your word tonight. Um, thank you for this group of women that are here. And I thank you for the book of Ruth. Lord, it's such a fun little nugget in your word with so much truth and doctrine, and it is just rich and full, and three weeks is not even going to be enough to unpack everything in this little book. But I thank you for giving it to us, and I thank you for the story and life of Ruth, and specifically how it deals with the providence of God, the providence of you. Thank you, Lord, for the providence and our lives. Thank you for your providence. Um, I pray that these next three weeks we can learn that we can have a purpose in it and watch Ruth's life 
and that we can learn from her, Lord, and that. I just pray that you would be with me, give me wisdom as I speak your word. Thank you for the privilege. It's a privilege every time I'm able to open up your word and share it. And so I just pray that you would give me wisdom and that you would open the hearts of these ladies tonight and that you'd bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. Um, like I said in my prayer, you guys, I mean, we could do like a six to 12-week study on this. There's just so much truth. I just had to pick little parts of it up. So uh, we're going to be diving right in tonight. We're going to be going through chapter one. And I want to give you a little, so obviously you can see my purpose, his providence is going to be our theme for the next three weeks. So I want to define those themes really quick for you so we know what we're talking about. Providence is defined as the protective care of God, divine guidance or care. So for myself, I like to think of it as my God care or my God guidance, okay? So when you hear the word providence, think of that. It's, it's my God guidance, my God care. Purpose is a verb, which is an action word, to have as one's intention or objective. So it's something that you are doing actively. So we're going to be mentioning these words a lot in the next three weeks. When you think of these words, how can you, what is your action, what is your intention or objective in your life as you go through the care and guidance of your God, okay? So keep that in mind. A little background on Ruth. The book of Ruth comes right after Judges. If you know anything about Judges, it was a really yucky time. Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Very sinful, lawless, sensual, um, Reminds me a lot, actually, of our society that we live in today, right? So um, that is right the, where the setting of Ruth lies, to give you a little bit of background to where the story is coming from. Um, MacArthur says, Ruth describes God's sovereign and providential care of seemingly unimportant people at apparently insignificant times, which later proved to be monumentally crucial in accomplishing God's will. I should have wrote that up here for you because it is so good. I'm, I'm reading it again. God descri Ruth describes God's sovereign and providential care of seemingly unimportant people. It's kind of like us, right? Just unimportant people in this vast um, nation. At apparently insignificant times, it was a very sinful, lustful time kind of like us today, which later proves to be monumentally crucial to accomplishing God's will. Ruth didn't live to be able to see the Savior be born, so she never even knew that she was in the line of David, the line of Jesus Christ. She never got to see that. And we don't always get to see our future either. Well, we don't get to see all of our future, right? Just little nuggets in our lifetime. But we can be monumentally crucial to accomplishing God's will, just like Ruth. Um, Piper says, the book of Ruth gives us a glimpse into the hidden work of God at the worst of times. It proves to us that our God reigns in all the affairs of men. I love that. It proves to us that our God reigns in all the affairs of men, even when it seems like things are going downhill. So let's jump right in. We're going to read chapter one together in its entirety, okay? Okay. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. 
they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with their two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband." Then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from a place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you find rest, each of you in the house of her husband." Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we'll return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, even if I should have husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Okay, so real quick, I just want to get to know our two main characters that are alive in this first chapter. <laughs> um, first of all, Ruth. What do we know about her just from this first chapter here? She's a Moabite, okay? She, I'm not even going to get into that because I don't even have time. She's a Moabite. Um, she marries Malon. We're told later that's Malon she marries, not Killian, back in chapter four. They're married for 10 years before Malon dies, and she's left widowed. No children in those 10 years, which she was barren, which is a big deal for back then and, and now. Um, age, she is most likely in her mid to late 20s. Okay, we know she's been married for 10 years. We're told later that Boaz calls her a young woman, so we're just assuming she's somewhere in her mid 20s. We know from verse 16 and 17, holy cow, she's loyal, right? She has just pledged her life to her mother-in-law. Um, some commentator, <laughs> I actually, I did not mean to pause there. I really didn't. I really did not. I love my mother-in-law. If you listen to this, Julie, you know that. Oh my word. No, I did not mean to pause there. <laughs> some commentators, um, actually believe that this is a deeper pledge than marriage 
that Ruth has made to Naomi because she's saying, where you die, I die, and there I'll be buried, which means back in that culture, you're always um, buried with your family. And so even if Naomi died first, which she most likely would, um, if age took place and she died, then Ruth would still not be able to marry unless she stayed in the family, which they don't think there's anyone else. Not that that's a spoiler alert. Um, so anyway, she's very loyal, right? Okay, we also know that at some point she's converted to the one true God. We're not told in the story when. I am assuming that it was sometime when she was married and some one of those ten, that 10-year 10 period. Um, your God will be my God. Um, it's evidence that she has turned from the false worship of Moab and she is worshiping the Jehovah God. Um, my only assumption is just because, man, Naomi is pretty bitter and not being the best example uh, of who God is, right, to her daughter-in-law, who at one point was not following him and did not know him. But we're not really told when she came to know the Lord, but she is now converted and worships Jehovah God. What do we know about Naomi? She's the wife of Elimelech. They traveled together with their sons from Bethlehem to Moab because there was a famine at that time in Bethlehem. So they've traveled and taken their family from a place that serves God to a place that's serving idols, okay? It's kind of a big deal because then Elimelech dies and who do her boys marry? Girls from there, right? So basically, they marry these Moabite women and they're unequally yoked immediately. The boys die after 10 years. She makes the decision to leave Moab and move back to Bethlehem. We know that she's probably past childbearing age. She's very sarcastic about being able to bear children, even if she had a husband now. Um, we know that her countenance must have been very down, right? Um, the women were stirred when they saw her. Is this Naomi? We know that she curses God, and she states she went away from Bethlehem full, and now she's come back empty. So for the balance of our time tonight, we're going to camp out on those last three verses there in chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. I'm just going to refresh it real quick. We're going to talk about when you're finding yourself in a famine or a trial in your life, which is obviously where Naomi and Ruth were. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Naomi must have been well-known before. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord's brought me back empty. Why even call me Naomi when the Lord's testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So I have three thoughts and questions I want us to ask ourselves as we're going through this chapter tonight. When you find yourself in a famine or a trial, and I don't say if, I say when, because it's all over scripture, girls. If you have not faced a trial yet in your life, which I'm assuming most of you have, then pull up your panties because it's coming, right? <laughs> it's coming, and we're told it's coming. First Peter 4.12 says, do not be surprised when you fall into various trials. James 1, we just started going through James of if you're following our Instagram page. So you read this chapter this week. What does it say? Count it all joy, my brothers. That's right, or sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all who desire to live a godly life 
might be persecuted, maybe. No, it says you will be persecuted. So when you find yourself in a trial or a famine, because you will, um, let's see here, a couple questions. Do you have a heart that blames? Do you have a heart that blames? In verse 20 and 21, she says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She's upset. She might be upset, but um, she does have her theology correct. She knows who it is who has brought this trial upon her. It's God. And she knows that. And she says it right here. Um, oh, I forgot to ask my dad who it was who said this. So I'll have to go back and ask him. But he talked about this in a message once. And it was someone else who told him that it's okay when you're in a trial to ask why. It's okay to ask why. But don't do it with your fist clenched. Don't do it with anger in your heart. It's okay to ask why. Naomi was definitely doing it with her fists clenched. Um, when I think of different characters in the Bible who went through great trial, many come to my mind. Joseph and, I mean, Jesus Christ himself who suffered the greatest of trial, right? But one of the ones that comes to the top is Job, right? And I'm sure you think of him as well. If you want to turn there, you can to Job 1 and 2, but you don't have to. I'm going to recap it quickly for you. Um, do you have a heart that blames? I want us to compare three different characters here, Naomi and Job and Job's wife. So if you're familiar with the story of Job, I'll recap it with you very quickly, but in chapter 1, Satan and God run into each other, and God says, Satan, what are you doing? I'm roaming about about the face of the earth. And it was God's suggestion, actually, to say to Satan, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless and upright in all the land. And Satan's like, ah, oh, no, I haven't thought of him yet. And he says, oh, surely, he'll curse you and die. The only reason that he's following you is because he has everything. He's got a wife, he's got 10 kids, he's rich, he's got all these livestock and animals. And God Give Satan the permission to go and torment Job. Just don't, you can do anything you want to him. Don't touch his body, is what God says. So Satan definitely does that. And a quick recap of what happens. Um, all of a sudden, a messenger runs up to Job, comes up to him. Hey, Job, all your cattle and donkeys are feeding alongside the servants and were killed by the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And as he was talking, seriously, another servant comes and says, uh, while we were speaking, a messenger came and to tell him the sheep and the servants were all killed by fire that just fell from heaven. It was crazy. It's like a, a movie. Um, then while he was still speaking, someone else came and tell him that the camels and the servants were all killed by the sword. And while he was still speaking, another servant came to him and said, Job, all 10 of your kids were in the same house together partying and a great wind came blew the house over, your kids are gone, gone. He had lost everything in just a matter of a few minutes. And what does he say? Verse 21, his first response, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Wow. So if you know the story, it continues. Satan comes back to God and says, well, you didn't let me touch his life. He'll surely curse you if I can touch his body. So what happens? He's brought down. God gives Satan permission. Again, God giving the permission to inflict these trials on Job. 
He's inflicted with terrible boils and sores, and his wife's had enough. Verse two, chapter 2, verse 9, she says, just curse God and die, Job. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And I, I kind of love this husband and wife interchange, and it just, I didn't even realize that until I was really studying this book um, a few months ago, actually. Job says to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive the good from God and not the evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I say that because I think a lot of times Job's wife gets a bad rap. And here, yes, she is cursing God and she is struggling and she has got anger issues. But I don't think that that was her normal character. Just by the way Job responded to his wife. The poor girl, we talk about Job going through this trial, but um, she lost everything too, right? She lost all 10 of her children in one swoop. Three girls, seven boys, all their stuff, all their cattle, their belongings. And now the only person she has left, her husband, is suffering terribly. And she's angry. But he could have said, you fool, you foolish woman. Shall we not receive the good from the good from God and not the evil, but he says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak, which tells me it probably wasn't in her character. She was having a hard time. A just sweet little nugget from husband to wife as he's coming alongside of his wife, telling her, you've got to believe in the goodness of God, right? Even when it seems like all is lost. All three of these people had, they all, the difference was their perspective of God. They all had their theology right. They all knew it was God. It was God causing the trial, right? Naomi knew. Job knew. Job's wife knew. They've all cited God. The difference is their perspective of it. And Job, in chapter 23, 8 through 10, I love these verses. He says, behold, I go forward, and he's not there. And backward, but I don't perceive him. I turn to the left when he's working, and I do not behold him. And to the right hand, and I don't see him. But he knows the way that I take. And when I am tried, I will come forth as gold. Job knew his God care. Job knew the providence of God. And that even when it didn't seem like he was anywhere, that he was. And I've been on both sides of this. I'm sure most of you have as well. Dealing with being angry with the Lord and having your hands clenched. Um, a couple weeks ago, Dad preached the message on having, um, where's your heart? Talked about that, and he alluded to the time when, I know you hear stories about all the trials in my family's life from my dad, but I get to tell you too, so I have a different perspective than him. Um, he talked about when John was in jail, and it was a very low, low time for our family. And when he was considering possibly having to leave the ministry. And for years, I had been on my face before God for those boys. And I specifically remember that week because Heath and I were fighting over whether we should have a fourth kid or not. And he wanted it, and I didn't. <laughs> because I had three, and I thought I could control three. I was like, I feel like I can handle three because Daniel and John were six and seven or nine and ten cumulatively in our family. And so that must be why they're going off the deep end. So if I only have three, I can keep them in my little chicken coop and, you know, oh my word. So we were arguing over that this week, whether or not to have a fourth kid. And um, 
I wanted to control my kids because I was so scared and of what was going on with my brothers. I had been on my face before God asking him to bring them back. And then my dad calls and tells me that John's in jail. And I knew he was going to go talk to those deacons about whether or not he should keep his job. And I was angry. I remember talking to Heath. I'm like, I am so mad. My dad's given his life to God. And yet this is happening. He could lose his job. My brother's in jail, what's going on? And in that moment, I was not, I was not, I was having a heart that blamed, that blamed God. I was not having a trusting heart. And I really needed to just remind myself to go back to my little 14-year-old self. It's not funny how sometimes we need to go back to the mentality of a child has trust in God, right? Um, I journaled a lot when I was younger, and there's some really funny journal entries in here that are cute to go back and read. But I will cherish this particular journal my whole life because it journals very specifically the time when I lost my mom. And um, I came across this journal entry a while ago, 14 years old. I should have treated that situation like I did this. Jesus, please take my emotions right now. It's been one month since you took mom. My tears are almost uncontrollable this night. Take me, Jesus, into your arms. I'm frightened without a mom. Dad is so lonely. And I hurt every time I see a husband and wife together. I hurt for him. I love him too much to see him hurt. So I don't, I want to help, but I can't do too much. Oh, my heart is broken beyond words. I'm drained of all strength. Give me strength, dear God. I need you so much. Take me and hold me in your arms. I don't have a mom to hold me anymore. Jesus, I know you are, but just to say it, take care of mom, and thank you for taking care of me. I take comfort in your word. I love you. I'm not bitter. You know that. I'm just heartbroken. Help me to regain strength. And that, I have to go back to this little 14-year-old mindset quite a bit because that is a heart that's trusting. So when you're going through a trial, don't have a heart that blames. Trust his plan. Trust his plan for your life. He knows. Okay, another question. When you find yourself in a famine or a trial, how's your countenance? How's your face? What's your face look like? Do you have a face that beams? Do you exude the joy of the Lord, your Savior? Um, a couple years ago, there was a super funny video going around on social media, and a lot of you probably heard it. It's really not appropriate to play at church, so I won't. But um, if you don't know what RBF is, ask your girlfriend next to you, and she probably does, or you can look it up later. But some of you just have a face that looks distraught all the time. Um, <laughs> what was it that dad said the other? Okay, when people see you coming, what wells up in their heart? Remember that? When people see you coming, what wells up in their heart? Does your countenance exude the joy of the Lord? What about your social media account? Ouch. I mean, you can kind of hide behind that a little bit, right? But man, some of these Facebook and Instagram accounts, they can be used for a lot of good. See, I want you to follow us on Sailorville Women. But they can also be used for a lot of destruction. And there are a lot of accounts out there 
that are just constantly negative, negative, negative. More people are seeing that than your face. So what does your countenance look like? What are you exuding from your life? Is it the joy of the Lord? Um, I have her permission to share. I ran, I was with Amy Blevins for just a few minutes um, this past week, and I gave her a hug, and I thanked her. I said, the joy that is in your life going through now your second round of cancer has been such an encouragement and a challenge and a blessing to me, so thank you. And I thanked her even for every post she has on Facebook is a new verse that God has taught her or something else. Just She's just full of joy. And I'm she looked at me, I'm not kidding, I even wrote it down. No, oh, my phone's over there, I can remember it. She looked at me and she said, well, is there another way? And she wasn't being facetious. She really wasn't. She said, I, there's not another way. I don't have another choice but to just exude the joy of the Lord. And I was like, oh. I was totally even convicted just a couple weeks ago of back to the social media thing because I flooded like most of you this summer in Ankeny and whatever, and uh, we got it all put back together and it was fine. And then a couple weeks ago, a pipe broke in our bathroom in the basement downstairs where we had just put new carpet and everything. And there was mold back there and whatever. And so I did this little Instagram story real quick and I was like, cause one flood a summer's not enough. And Posted it up there, and within five to ten minutes, you know, I was getting all these sweet messages. I'm so sorry. What can I do to help you? And I was immediately convicted because I knew my heart. I was mad. Okay, that's not even really a trial. That's just like a little bump, okay? But I was mad that we're having to deal with this again. I want everybody to know about a, the bad night I was having, and I wanted some sympathy. So I immediately took it down and apologized to the people who saw it real quick. But man, even in the little bumps and the little pipe bursts and the times when you're up all night with that baby and whatever it is, are you exuding, exuding the joy of the Lord in your face, even when you're not going through a big trial of just a silly day, didn't go well, and a lot of times you can just see it on your face, right? Psalm 34, 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 1 Peter 4, 19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. And this is my favorite one, Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Amen? For I shall praise him, my salvation. Let your face reflect the joy of the Lord. I think you already knew that. Let your face reflect the joy of the Lord. Okay, our last, last little thought for tonight. When you find yourself in a famine or a trial, do you have a perspective that sees? Do you have a perspective that sees? And you could even add to that. Do you have a perspective that sees God or sees outside of yourself? Verse 21, back to our friend Naomi. What does she say? I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi's got a me perspective, doesn't she? I counted how many personal pronouns she used in that verse. It's eight. Eight. Yeah. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? I mean, she's all about me. 
right? When your perspective is me-focused, it will never be others-focused, and it will definitely not be God-focused. I'm sure you've had times in your life where you've found that. When you're so engrossed on yourself, it's not going to be able to be God-focused. Um, about exactly a month ago, I had the privilege of traveling with three of my really good girlfriends out to Washington State to see another girlfriend who we were in college with, and we've kept in contact for an unnamed amount of years that I've been out of college. It seems like just a few, but it's been a little bit more than that. So we got to go over Labor Day weekend and spend some time together. It was a lot of fun. And my friend planned this trip, and we went one day on this all-day hike to these hot springs. And we actually took a really easy way there. It was kind of like a road that you could get a small truck down. And so we got there and talked to the park ranger, and he's like, oh, you didn't take the, the scenic path. You should take the scenic path bath. And we're all like, oh, that sounds way better. I mean, because this was too easy and whatever. And so we're going to take the scenic rock bath. Yeah, it's super easy. You just follow the path and follow the river. Of course, you know, he lives out there or whatever. So um, he had me take this picture, thank goodness, with my cell phone, okay, of this map. And he's like, see, you're here. And then where my thumb's at is where you're parked, which you can't probably even see from here. But there's these two little tiny dots that we assumed was our parking lot. Anyway, um, it was afternoon, and we thought it was going to take us about two hours to get back. It was like a, I don't even know how many miles it was. But we started going, and many different things happened along the way. Um, we stepped on a beehive. Everyone was stung several times. Um, one of my sweet friends decided to wear her Walmart shoes instead of her Nikes, so she wouldn't ruin them. And I'm not dissing Walmart. They have great deals. It's, it's a fine store. But if you're going to go on a big hike that's like 12 miles round trip, I would suggest maybe a little bit better high-quality shoes. So she was in a lot of pain. We were about three hours in. We thought we should be there by now. It was getting dark. People were getting scared and freaking out. Oh, we didn't have any cell phone service either. We had four phones with no service. So in the middle of the forest and a couple panic moments were happening. And I had this one picture on my phone of this map. That's all I had. And we didn't really know, we didn't know how many miles were in between things. We never saw one human being on this. We cheered because at one point we saw a footprint. We were like, oh, someone's been here. So it was, it was a little bit of a desolate situation, okay? I was so focused because I was the only one with the picture on my cell phone. So we're like literally going this way and I'm trying to turn it and figure out where it was. And at this point, we're over three and a half hours. We thought we should have been there an hour ago and we, we were lost. We were lost. And all I had was the perspective of this little tiny phone. People were starting to get scared and we were about ready to go three and a half hours back to where we had seen the park ranger. It was already getting dark. It would have been... We'd, the flashlights on our phone worked, but it would have been a rough go to go back. All of a sudden, I turned around, and one of my friends had just sprinted up around the hill and was gone, and we hear screaming. And I looked at my other friend, and I'm like, either she's getting eaten by a bear or she found someone or something. <laughs> Praise God, she was not getting eaten by a bear. Um, we were just less than a quarter of a mile from our parking lot, and it was up. The forest is so thick, you cannot see a thing. It was getting dark. But had we just looked up this way and there were no leaves on the tree, we could have actually seen the glimmer of automobiles up there, okay? And we were ready to hike three and a half hours back in the Walmart shoes and the beehive in the dark, 
back, okay? Our perspective was so small, we had no idea where we were. This right here is the map that I took the picture from, and the little tiny pink spot up there on the side of Katie's head is where I took the picture. Big, huge map of a forest. Our perspective was very small, okay? And that is how our perspective can be in a trial. It's so small. We really have a hard time seeing anything outside of the little bit that we see, right? But God, he gets this big picture, the whole map, the whole map in our lives. John Piper says, one of the terrible effects of depression is the inability to move purposefully and hopefully into the future. When we get so inwardly focused on ourselves, a lot of times it turns to depression. And we can't even move with purpose and the purpose that God has given us into the future. And this is what I see here in Naomi, right? I mean, all she's talking about is herself and all the stuff that's happened to her. What is she not seeing that God's put right in front of her? Um, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, is like on her arm, has just pledged her life to her. And she doesn't, it doesn't even say she introduced her. I mean, it says nothing about what Naomi said about Ruth. And yet Ruth was right there, right alongside her mother-in-law, and Naomi could only see herself in this trial. What else does it say in the very end of our chapter? They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Where they came from, there wasn't going to be a harvest. There had been no rain. They were in a famine. Now they come to this land where there's food and blessing. And not only that, they're at the beginning of the harvest time where they're going to reap all the fruits of it. She doesn't see that either. She only sees herself. And yet God was placing blessings that she could visually see right in front of her, as well as all the blessings that we know, because we know her story, that are going to come from that barley harvest in the future. That's where Boaz is going to enter this scene, okay? And eventually, in the line of Jesus, okay, she didn't get to see that part, but God placed little blessings right in front of her. And she was so focused on herself that she didn't get to see outside of them. Take your perspective when you're in a trial off of yourself and just look up. Sometimes we need to look through that crazy forest when we feel like all there is is trees everywhere and just look up to the hope of Jesus. And we have the absolute hope of knowing that he's always there, right? We didn't know for sure if there was going to be a parking lot when my friend took off running. We just got lucky. But you don't have to get lucky because you know that you have Jesus, right? And if you know him as your personal savior, and you have begun a relationship with him and asked him to forgive your sins and come into your life and you live for him, then he is with you always, even to the end of the age, right? We always have Jesus. So even when it feels like we are in the darkest and deepest of trials, or maybe it's just the little trials that you've had a rough day, we always have Jesus. Get our perspective off of ourselves. He's our hope. He's sovereign. And he's in control. And I just love how that ends. It was the beginning of barley harvest. The Lord is always going to put someone or something or some verse or some encouragement in your pathway if you're looking for it, if you're looking for it. So be encouraged. So hopefully you've learned a little bit about how you can have purpose 
in his provision in your life tonight. And I'm excited about the next couple weeks. Next week, we are digging into chapters two and three. We have a lot to cover. We're talking about um, gratefulness when he does provide for you. And we're also talking about your reputations. We're going to talk a lot about sex inside and outside of marriage. This culture therein was a very sexually driven culture, which is obviously where we're at right now. And just talking about what your reputation is in all of that. And so I'm excited to dig into that with you ladies next week too, in the next couple weeks. And let's pray before we end. And then you still have like eight minutes before you have to get your kids so we can chat. Father, thank you so much for this time that we've been able to just dig into your word. Thank you for the story of Ruth. Um, just thank you that we can look and see your providence in her life. It's cool to look at a story when you can see it from beginning to end and see the end. But Lord, sometimes in our stories, most of the time in our stories, we don't know the end. And sometimes we don't even find it out till eternity. Sometimes you give us blessings and we get to figure things out as we go along, Lord. I just pray for all the women here in this room, no matter what they're going through right now, whether it's little tiny famines or trials along the way, or whether they're going through something big and deep, Lord, I pray that they would put their hope into you, the one that knows the whole map, that has their whole future already mapped out, ready for them. And all we get to do is just follow it and have purpose in it. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.